the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 8, Recon and Exchange, Part 2. Susan heard the unmistakable buzz of a drone. For a moment, she felt panic, like an animal spotted by a predator. Paul's calm demeanor gave her pause. He drove the cart matter-of-factly. A small speck appeared in the sky over the river. It buzzed north. When the drone reached the bay with the noisy ducks, it hovered for many long seconds. It made a couple of full 360 turns before flying back south, out of sight. These poles must be sensors, Susan muttered to herself. See those white poles? she asked Paul. They must detect movement. Those ducks set one of them off. Then the feds send out a drone to check it out. Oh, fast response time. Did you notice that? Those ducks hadn't been in the water for more than a minute. Paul pursed his lips and nodded. That's going to be tough, Susan said. Can't paddle across the river in less than a minute. The new sensor barrier sucked the wind out of her hopes. Bumping over some railroad tracks brought Susan's mind back to the present. Oh, that's her turn. Susan sat up and pointed to a road branching off to the left. I think that's Adele's house back in the woods there, the little white one. The curtains in the right-hand window moved as Donner and the cart pulled into Adele's dirt driveway. Hello, Adele. It's Susan and Paul. We've come to take you to town. She wasn't sure if Adele would recognize them with the new cart and horse. The door swung open to reveal a short little woman in a fuzzy yellow bathrobe beneath a winter coat. Oh, my sakes, Adele beamed. Is it time already? Oh, I'm not fit for town. Come on in while I get on some proper town clothes. She motioned them toward the front door. Paul tied up Donner to a small tree. There was some fresh grass and young dandelions to graze on. Susan hopped up the three steps toward the front door, but froze. She stared at the doorframe. It suddenly looked too small. Was it getting smaller? The view inside the house was dark, too dark. She tried to will her foot to step over the threshold, but it refused. Susan swallowed hard and tried to slow down her breathing. Why can't I go inside? It can't be that. I'm over that. Oh, don't worry about wiping your shoes, said Adele's voice from deep within the abyss. Come on in. I'll sweep up later. Um, yeah, uh, I'll wipe my feet anyhow. Susan wiped her boots on the rubber welcome mat several times. I don't want to make more work for anyone. With a hand gripping each door jamb, she continued to wipe her boots over and over. Oh, nope, don't want to make any messes. You okay? Paul whispered behind her. Ah! Startled, Susan rushed through the doorway without thinking. Yeah, uh, fine, doing fine, really, r really fine. She regretted rushing in. The room was so dark. The windows were so small. The ceiling was too low, the walls too close. She could feel her heart beating faster, her breathing getting fast and shallow. Oh, what's the matter with me? I've been over that for a long time. Moved on. Done with it. Why is this happening now? I go inside Sandy's house all the time, and... She stopped to recall that she only ever went into Sandy's kitchen. 
She had no idea what the rest of the house looked like inside. The kitchen was bright and painted pale yellow. She realized that she always made a point to stand or sit near the tall windows. Even in her little attic room, she had to lie beneath the small window and stare out of it to get to sleep. Susan noticed that Paul was studying her face. He looked worried. Susan attempted a reassuring smile, but it turned out to be a half grimace at best. It doesn't feel too cold out today, Adele said from another room. I should be okay in my barn coat. She emerged from a side door, clutching a big paisley-printed canvas bag under her arm. Okie dokie, got my, um, uh, items, she patted the bag. Susan hurried out of the door and down the steps. She leaned against the railing post at the bottom of the steps. Fresh air felt marvelous. She took several deep breaths. Oxygen was delicious. I remember this one episode of Bonanza. Adele walked past Susan and climbed into the middle of the cart's vinyl bench seat. Little Joe and Haas yeah, were in town. Uh, having sold the herd of cattle, Haas says something like, Sure hope no one knows we've got $10,000 in these saddlebags. I about fell off my sofa. Remember yelling at my TV. You don't say stuff like that out loud, Haas. Ah, oh, jeez, I said. Sometimes he could be so dumb. Ah, sure enough, someone overheard him, and they got jumped. Da dang fools. I tried to tell him, yeah, but no. Well, I ain't telling anyone what I got in my saddlebags. She clutched her paisley bag a little tighter. I ain't gonna get jumped. Susan smiled. Adela's comic relief was a welcome distraction. Oh, good thinking. Uh, wait, does that mean she has $10,000 in there? Was getting jumped a possibility? Uh, besides, Adele whispered after looking around, some of this uh, stuff is Edna's. I told her I'd trade it for her and get her some supplies. As they rode north on Vernon Road, Susan continued to discreetly study the river while Adele went on to describe her favorite television shows from the early 1960s. Susan's mind began to wander again. The line of little white poles extended south down around the bend in the river. Beyond, out of sight, stretched the hydroelectric dam and the garrison full of soldiers. She surmised that the drones must be launched from the Fed's garrison. It arrived in less than a minute of the duck's landing. You sure don't have too many neighbors out here, Susan said. She pointed to several modern homes along the side road. All of the windows and doors were covered in plywood. Them? Eh, nah. I didn't see much of them before all of this, anyhow. Busy administrative types. Couple of weeks after the lights went out, they started moving out. Eh, back to the big city, I expect. Oh, really? Paul and I were having a lively conversation about just that on the way to your house. Susan leaned forward to face him. Weren't we, Paul? She said teasingly. Paul nodded, but kept his eyes on the road. Yep. Susan looked away to chuckle. <laughs> so much work to do there. She turned back to Adele. Uh, with no neighbors around, Susan said. Aren't you worried? You know, living all by yourself? They passed the soldier at the top of the hill. He eyed them suspiciously. Susan made an extra effort to ignore him. This winter must have been so tough for you, being, well, I mean... Since you're... Uh, you mean old? Uh, bah! Adele batted away the concern. Old has its advantages, 
I've had plenty of years to learn how to get by. Oh, shoot, my mother grew up in real hard times, let me tell you. She'd think all of this was nothing. She taught me to always have stuff ready. Lay up cannon for the winter. Whole nine yards. Get by on what you got, she used to say. Young people nowadays, if they can't order it from Amazon and get it tomorrow, well, they got no clue what to do. Susan wasn't satisfied. But still, I mean, with the power out and all, this was a really cold winter. I've been through colder winters than this one, with less than I've got now. For more years than you've been alive. Eh, no offense. But now I know how to cope. Years ago, I set up the house and the shed so I wouldn't have to walk so much. Make a small world, Mother used to say. Lots easier to manage a small world. Just a few steps to my chickens, the woodpile and the well. Easier on the joints. Susan made an extra effort to stay focused on Adele's conversation. She found herself wondering if any of the abandoned houses had canoes or kayaks in their garages. That's what really burns my toast about these new trading rules of theirs. Between Edna, Louise, and the Comptons across the highway, I had pretty much everything I might want for trading. Now they say I gotta walk all the way up to Brattle to trade stuff. That's way too much walking for these old bones. I had me a good system going. My eggs for Edna's canned peaches. The Comptons would treat me a quart of milk every four or five days. I'd give them some of my willow bark and, uh... Willow bark? Susan interrupted. Oh, yeah. I use it all the time for my joints. Great stuff. Especially when there's no CVS or Walgreens anymore. Willow bark has aspirin in it, or something like that. Mother used to brew it up for us. I got a couple of black willow in the backyard that I've been coppicing. When my joints are aching, I grind up a couple of tablespoons of dried willow bark and steep them in a cup of boiling water. Makes kind of a brown tea. Yeah, it looks pretty, yeah, but it tastes like crap. Susan suppressed a smile. Oh? Yeah, yeah just like how you'd think hot, wet bark would taste. Blech. I tried to add a pinch of cinnamon or some wintergreen leaves. Uh, they grow in the back, too. That helped, uh, but in truth, it's just minty-flavored crap. Yeah, still, takes the sting out of the joints for several hours, a cup a day, sometimes two. Trade the rest with the neighbors. They've got old joints too, don't you know? Them blasted new rules are going to make me walk all the way to town just to hand the Compton some willow bark. Susan eyed the small inlets in the river marsh as they passed, the spot where she imagined she could hide a canoe. It was then that she noticed the sound of a drone coming up the river from the south. She looked up and down the river to see what might have brought the drone. Nothing moved, only the swirls and eddies of the river. The drone didn't fly quickly, as it had for the ducks, but it kept a steady pace up the center of the river. Hmm, I guess they don't come out just for sensor triggers. Looks like they do some patrols with their drones, too. I wonder what the timing is for that. As the drone continued north, Susan thought she noticed that one of the little boxes atop the white poles had a red light that blinked as the drone passed. She paid closer attention to the next sensor up the river. It flashed, too, when the drone passed. Did only those two have lights? Or did they all? But only those two were against dark backgrounds. The poles were too far from any of the improvised generator stations that the townies of the feds had set up, 
All those poles would require a lot of wiring, also. Hmm, got to be batteries. They must fly a drone past the sensors now and then for a status check. Look for dead batteries. The cart slowed down. The line was shorter, since the men at the checkpoint were less fussy. Susan wondered if the VIPs were no longer in town, so security didn't have to be so tight. The man with the blue armband poked at their few bags. Adele clutched her paisley bag tighter. The man insisted that they couldn't pass until he checked it. Adele slowly gave up the bag with a low growl. She kept her hands poised to snatch it away from him as he peered inside. When he was satisfied that there was nothing forbidden inside, he handed it back. Adele grabbed it as if it were her only child, about to fall over a cliff. And nosy good-for-nothing busybodies, she muttered. The man handed Paul three little squares of blue paper, their clearance markers for the day. Susan studied her blue square. Hmm, I haven't seen a unicorn stamp before, she muttered to herself. She didn't make many trips through the checkpoints, so she had no idea how many different stamps they had. She did mental math. Four colors of paper times maybe eight different marks would give them thirty-two combinations, enough for a month before they repeated. Did they have more than eight stamps? Did they randomize, or did the blue unicorn always fall on the third Thursday? Does someone keep track of these things enough to identify a pattern? Ah, can you believe it? Pickles, she says. Bah, I says. I'm going to get you some flour, Adele said. Susan looked over. She had zoned out again while Adele was talking. She was not setting a good example for Paul to learn the art of conversation. Um, you can do a lot with flour, Susan offered with a lame grin. That seemed like a safe enough comment. That's what I told her. She said she wanted pickles. All of all things. Yeah, pickles. Adele shook her head. Edna gets some odd food obsessions sometimes. I think the shortages have made her crazy. She gets all fixated. Paul stayed with Donner and the cart on Canal Street beside the co-op. Susan showed Adele where the money changers sat. After showing the women her blue unicorn pass, Adele pulled a tattered envelope from her bag. It was fat with crumpled bills. Three thousand one hundred and fifteen dollars, Adele announced proudly. Oh, and seventy cents. She handed over two quarters and two dimes. Uh, what's that get me? The boxy-faced woman consulted a printed chart before announcing, Twenty-four point nine something. We can be generous and round up to twenty-five even. The woman offered a small, condescending smile. Uh, what? Adele was both startled and upset. Only twenty-five bucks? Shares, the woman corrected. Yeah, whatever. There's over three thousand dollars in there. Adele poked her finger at the fat envelope that lay on the table. Dollars, the woman said with a sneer. Those will be worthless. Those will be worth nothing in a few days. Shares are the future. The current exchange rate is 125 to 1. Her tone had a take-it-or-leave-it quality. Look on the bright side, said a thin-cheeked woman seated next to Squareface. When you get your hundred shares this Friday, 
at 125 to 1, it'll be like getting $12,500. You get four times what this old envelope contains. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? Then Cheek smiled and nodded. Adele sputtered, stunned and flustered by the transaction. Her old envelope was whisked away into a box under the table. The thin-cheeked woman counted out a stack of never-folded bills. She handed the shares to Adele with both hands, as if the stack of bills was a college diploma. Susan could only see one share notes on the top. The picture in the center was of broken chains. A caption said, Sharing makes us free. Susan wondered if the exchange rate was going to keep rising. It had been a hundred to one the week before. What will it be come Friday? Twenty-five of these new bucks? That's it? Adele held each of them up for inspection. They look like play money. Back this way, said Susan. The flour and other staples are in the back. I hope so. Not much but empty boxes on all these shelves. Eight bucks for five pounds of flour? Adele roared. Shh! Susan looked around to see if anyone was reacting. Yeah, it was five shares last week, but keep your voice down. They get really testy when people complain. I saw them drag a guy out last week when he wouldn't stop complaining. Adele counted on her fingers. Eight of these new bucks would be a thousand dollars. A sack of flour costs a thousand dollars? Ah, that's nuts. Who do they think they... Shh, I know, I know. Susan stood tall and casually brushed her hair back, looking as nonchalant as possible. From five to eight shares now. There's only a few sacks of flour on the shelf. Supply is drying up, so naturally prices are going up too. Might be just like the new dinar or new bolivar. Inflation will soon make shares worthless at this rate. Edna gave me her thousand dollars to trade in. She told me how she and her husband scrimped and saved, putting away a few dollars here or there until they had a thousand bucks saved up. Her husband buried it in a jar beneath their juniper bush. It was their emergency fund. Now all she's going to get for her savings is a five-pound sack of flour? That just ain't right. My two thousand bucks won't even get me a pound of sugar or ten pounds of flour. All I could get's maybe five pounds of flour and ten pounds of salt. It's a travesty, I tell you. Taking advantage of the poor and the elderly, just like before. Nothing's changed. Shh, I know. Do you have flour at home? Susan wanted to keep Adele thinking of other things so she wouldn't fly into a rage over any single issue and get thrown out. Oh, better than flour. I got wheat. I grind my own. Oh, okay. But some pre-ground flour would be a time saver when you're tired, right? Well, I suppose. Right. So, then how about five pounds of flour and then take the rest in salt? Susan was trying to rush Adele to make a purchase so that they could leave peacefully. Adele climbed into the cart seat with her modest purchases in her paisley bag. She frowned and muttered to herself. Paul looked back and forth from the two women, as if one of them would explain why Adele was in such a sour mood. Inflation, Susan offered. Shares aren't worth as much this week as last. Paul nodded once slowly, the oh gesture. He gently slapped the reins on Donner's flank. The cart rolled down the hill. 
and around the turn onto Vernon Road. If shares follow the pattern of other replacement currency schemes, they'll inflate away to worthlessness. No point in saving them. Buy what you can, when you can. Thing is, people can only buy and sell in the co-op with this worthless scrip. Tempers are going to get raw. It's probably best to stay out of town. Paul nodded. That had been his motto for a long time. That concludes Chapter 8. As you heard, Susan's brokenness returned. Mental trauma doesn't heal quite like the body does. Adele mentioned using willow bark as a pain reliever. That's actually a thing. It contains salicin, chemically similar to lab-created acetyl salicylic acid. Here's where I insert the obligatory fine print about not being a doctor and this isn't medical advice, blah, blah, blah. I don't often get headaches, but when I have, I have steeped, for myself, a cup of willow bark tea. Adele's critique of the flavor is pretty much right. But for me, I can feel it working very much like an aspirin. Willows like to grow next to water, so I've got a good location. But my pond tends to grow only red maple. I'll have to buy a couple of willow saplings and plant them. The best bark comes from two- and three-year-old growth, so I won't have to wait too long. In podcast news, did any of you notice that the episode wasn't available on Friday as usual? It showed up on my Podbean page, so I suspected nothing. I didn't find out until about four hours after it went live, and then that only because there were only a few downloads. Checking further, the new episode wasn't on Apple or Google or any of the other feed sites. I wondered what the heck is going on. I'll cut to the chase. It turned out that there's an arcane advanced area in Podbean's distribution settings page. One of them was to set a maximum number of episodes. The default was 100. Part 2 of Chapter 7 was the 100th episode. Yay and everything, but that's why Podbean didn't forward the link to Apple, etc. Now, I have to wonder, why would there need to be an upper limit to the number of episodes? It made no sense to me. But after upping the limit to 200 and saving... Part 1 of Chapter 8 showed up on all the distribution sites within an hour. Problem solved. I'm just not sure why I had to have that problem. So, all that's a longish description to explain why the episode was late. Technology. You gotta keep a close eye on it. I'll be back next week, and on time, I hope, with the next chapter. Thanks for listening.